0: Hello and a warm welcome to Season 3 of Be A Bigger Fish. Well, it's been a while since the end of Season 2 and that's been kind of lengthened by the lockdown as my initial launch plans coincided with the start of the social distancing measures in place in the UK to prevent the spread of COVID-19, the coronavirus, and it's been an interesting and intense time for communications professionals, so I'm profoundly grateful to the people who've appeared on the podcast and who have helped me and encouraged me and inspired me to get going again. I'm delighted to say that this week's episode features three communications professionals. It's a conversation that we recorded before the lockdown, so it makes no reference to that, but it really is an evergreen topic for communicators, and I won't say too much about it because I let one of my guests, Martin Flegg, explain in the podcast. I'm feeling particularly spoiled today because I'm being joined for this episode by not one but three very influential internal communications professionals. So let me introduce you to Martin, Sue and Matt. Welcome to the podcast, all three of you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Excellent. And I'd like to invite you to introduce yourselves. Just tell us who you are and what you do. And let's start with Martin.
2: Hi everyone, um, I'm Martin Flegg. I'm an internal communications specialist at GelfIC, which is my internal comms consultancy.
3: Hi there, I'm Sue Palfrey. Uh, I am head of internal communications and engagement for a utilities company uh, based in the southwest at the moment.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Batten, and I'm director of communications and engagement at the Church in Wales.
0: Fabulous. So we've got a really good spread of backgrounds and also we've got a good spread of UK geography today, I think, on the line as well, which is lovely. (laughs) Just a few weeks ago, a controversial topic sprung up on social media about something that I know has been niggling communications professionals for quite a while. I'd like to ask Martin to introduce the concept of today's episode.
2: I suppose it's my fault we're having this conversation because <laughs> um, it was a, actually something that happened in, in an office that I'm working in right now. And, and it didn't happen to me. It happened to another member of the comms team and stakeholder walked up and quite an important topic that she, that she wanted to kind of communicate about and, and asked a colleague if they could just comms it up. And I had a very strange reaction to that because it sort of created this inner rage in me about how, what a sort of a superficial sort of request it sounded like and it kind of seemed seemed quite sort of almost disrespectful in terms of asking a comms person who's a professional to kind of do a really good piece of communications work on that topic. So what do you do in those circumstances? You sort of think is it just me? And I'm maybe a bit sensitive and I thought, no let's let's ask the tribe. So <laughs> I published on. Uh, some posts on Twitter and LinkedIn, and was quite frankly overwhelmed by the amount of reaction. I'd never heard of comms up before, but a lot of other people had, um, and there were a fair few other similar um, examples of phrases that people came up with and shared.
0: I know all of us who are talking now actually responded to your post on One channel or Another, Martin, didn't we? So, So, yeah, we all obviously have a view about it. So I'd like to ask Matt, what did you think about that post when you read it? And what's your reaction when people ask you to comms things up?
1: So I was a bit surprised, actually, that well, one that Martin saw it as as being something slightly negative, because whenever I hear that, whenever I get asked to comms it up, or or the word I the phrase I tend to get is "Can you work your comms magic on this?" Yeah. is I'm absolutely thrilled. <laughs> I'm really, I mean, maybe that's my ego, but I'm just like really, <laughs> really chuffed that someone has recognised that you know I've got a particular skill around comms and have recognize that um, they need my help with something. So I just think it's a really an, a nice phrase. I, I take it as being quite lighthearted. I get really excited and, and thrilled when people ask me to comms it up and work my comms magic. I do then also get a little bit of Oh, what if I can't do it this time? There's <laughs> <It's> a little <laughs> bit of oh no. What if my what if my magic wand is is, is broken or something, and I'm not going to be able to uh, work my magic? But overall, I I I'm really okay with it. And I you know, a manager used to uh, would say this to me in a previous job, would give me a lot of, of this stuff and and say, could you uh, work your comms magic? And it's basically just taking boring text and boring copy and turning it into well, one, just getting to the actual message and making it a lot more engaging. And and so, yeah, I, I feel really, really chuffed when I get asked that.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So, Sue, how about you? What's your personal experience of this? Oh,
3: it's difficult being on a podcast with Matt because he's one of the nicest guys. And he always makes me feel really mean. So I've got, I've got the uh, <laughs> complete opposite reaction to Matt. Um, and probably quite uh, similar to Martin, actually, in that I hate it. I hate the phrase. And normally, I think it's because when it's used, it's never used in the right context. So I think how Matt's described it there is lovely and polite and you know you'd like to hope you had enough time to be able to respond to that request and that really you know those people genuinely meant the words you said at the end there Matt which was I would like your expertise mm. in creating some engaging you know inspiring copy just saying can you comms it up it just to me is lazy briefing and it's sloppy way of describing what could you know, in reality mean a whole range of things. And then I think as a communications professional trying to take that brief, interpret it, turn it back round for the, you know, the person who's asked for it, what what exactly are you responding to? And it's almost as though that, that sloppy phrase is about pushing all the effort and all the work onto the communications person to understand by osmosis what the end result is they're looking for And I I think experience, my experience is, you know, comms it up can be used in a really lovely way. It's usually, you know, people that you've probably worked really, really well with before. Maybe you're brought in earlier in the process. But ninety percent of the time I would say it's somebody coming over with a bit of tat that they just can't be bothered to put any extra graph <laughs> into. And you know, I, I just think it's lazy. And I think that's it's it is an opportunity. It's a brilliant opportunity to educate people into, you know, what we could do. It is great when you can Get a really positive reaction about taking that piece of tat and creating some really lovely, inspiring, engaging copy. But a lot of the time, people aren't in that space when they're coming to you with that te- usually last-minute request. So I'm, I'm firmly on the opposite
0: side.
2: <laughs> I think um, I think when um, when Matt, Matt came back with his positive, with his inf- effusive positivity, which he <laughs> always has, I felt a bit like a grinch actually. You and I and I thought, yeah, okay, he's right. The comms clueless, do actually need our help. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't be too precious about how we expect them to ask us um, how to do things for them. But, I, but I, I must say, I do agree with Sue on the briefing side, of the angle of things, that actually it is just lazy briefing. <laughs> um, and we're expected to, you know, get our crystal balls out and be mind readers to try and work out what it actually is that they do want, and, and, and not least not just the tactics that they want, but the objectives that they're trying to achieve because that's that's the really important thing. And sometimes they just can't articulate those objectives very well. I yeah, feel like and- I need to go back
1: to comm school. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe I've kind of missed the point.
3: I think you're just but, a nicer
1: person. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I actually understand where you're coming from. I do think that is—it's a weak brief, really, really weak brief. So I do understand that. And I think behind my excitement and 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 being, you know, thrilled to to be recognised like that is that opportunity then to to have that conversation and say what. Magic, are you looking for? What is it that would help you get your message across? And all the things that, that Martin they were saying about. So, what are the tactics you're thinking about? unless I have a conversation about it. But yeah, I, I I understand where you both are from on this one, but actually, I, I think I'm do, still I'm lovely. still on team <laughs> Matt. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: OK, well, before we unpack it any further, let's put everything out on the table here. So what are the most ridiculous or the funniest phrases you've heard people use in relation to communications?
3: Oh, so I had fun with this. I've asked some of, of people I've worked with in the past and they came thick and fast over WhatsApp and text last night. So I think, can you make it pretty? I think oh, is no. up there that can mm. be quite a lot I made some scribbles um, if you can make them out can you write them up was a, another classic
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> could you send a global message to tell people that I'm leaving and you know our response is who who are you <laughs> who are you <laughs> never heard of you <laughs> sprinkle some comms dust on it that came up a lot as well as a pet peeve I don't know if anybody else has had those
2: yeah definitely yeah, I think that's, that, that's that, very I... familiar I think I think the the one that kind of really gets me is push this out.
3: Oh yeah,
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I wrote a I wrote a blog I wrote a blog actually to, to sort of summarise some of the things that, that the feedback that people had come back with, and you know my response to that was yeah okay we, we can push this out, so I'll call the midwife. You know it's um, it's, uh, it's it's so uh, it's so uh, kind of out of context, isn't it? But um, you know roll it in glitter is another good one. Oh. <laughs> um, That's the one that's usually about redundancies, I suppose. Yeah, Um, weave your comms magic. What about you, Matt? What have you heard? Can you pretty this up for me? And my heart sinks on that
1: one because I just know as soon as I open that document, it's going to be some sort of awful clip art word thing. But it's like, I, you know, you've given me nothing. i got to go to a designer. I can't just pretty something like that up. I get a lot of requests from people who have a go at things on Canva. Now, I'm a big fan of Canva, but I'm also really realistic of what you can and can't do using using the app so i just think sometimes you can't just copy and paste the logo our logo onto uh, a canva template and say you've branded something up Um, (laughs) and and that is that's a little bit of a, a bugbear of mine because when you ever go to a designer they're like oh we're gonna have to start again on that one but some of the funniest things i've been asked to communicate in, in, in a previous job has been people stealing the, the spoons from the kitchen. Can I send an all user email out and ask people to return the spoons? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. And uh, another one was um, we had a, a beehive near the uh, near a window. Somebody asked me if I could send some bee guidance out
3: oh. I was like
1: oh, I really don't know what you mean and then somebody else um, in a team sent out what has become bee gate some bee guidance which included a whole list of things to do such as check that you're not wearing any bright floral colours because that attracts bees and check whether you've spilled any jam down your top
3: Wow, and I'm not
1: joking this, was, this went for weeks weeks where we were sharing alternative versions on the download not uh, on I'm the quite, I'm quite,
2: channels i'm quite interested i'm quite interested in did you get any beekeepers involved with that because i could have helped you with that one because i actually keep bees so oh, well, I <laughs> I know. On my
1: one of my one of the managers there actually is a beekeeper as well um, and um, we <laughs> come in with a bee suit literally this went on for weeks it went on for weeks it was one of the funniest things I did feel sorry for the poor guy afterwards because everyone was like you know that's just taking a bit too far but it was a really good message around yes there was a a bee issue but you know just be a bit sensible about it just don't go poking in the bees in you know in in the wasps nest (laughs) (laughs) and really just if you've got jam down your top you might want to change it (laughs)
0: <laughs> Never, I, I feel like that's what we're doing is poking in the wasp's nest right yeah. now. So yeah.
3: yeah. I did have somebody tell me yesterday about an anecdote for where they the eclipse years ago. Back in, God, it would have been early 2000s. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think he was working for a, a, a bank at the time in comms and, you know, they'd been getting a lot of requests from staff to say, oh, you know, would it be okay if we went outside and watched the eclipse? So the comms manager just spoke to whoever the, the boss was to say, you know, it'd be really great if we could respond to employees and say, you know, for these few minutes, you are more than welcome to go and watch the eclipse. And the uh, and the boss came back and said, "Well, I'd be really worried that they won't fit." And the guy was like, "Outside!" <laughs> 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 oh, it just made me laugh. So we, funny
0: because
3: we do hear some of the the funniest things. I think you'll ever hear in any other. You know, I, nobody else can hear the same things that we must hear on a daily basis. So it's part privilege and part just makes you realise that people can be quite daft
1: sometimes i think my from my perspective moving from where i was previously in a in a a, sort of like a really big organization that had organization development and and a big comms team to moving to somewhere that digital hasn't really been something that has spoken about before has has really surprised me in in ha- the kind of requests that I get. So in the I've been the, I've been at the Church in Wales in the Diocese of Llandaff now for about seven months, and no one would ever say to me, "Will you put this on the website, or could you put this on social, etc." It was always. Can you, can you put this in, in the magazine? So we have a, a diocesan magazine that goes out to about 7,000, 8,000 people. And some of the, the kind of articles I'd get asked, I'd be like, why would we be putting that in that magazine, though? I, and I really would really struggle at some of the requests about, the, you know, the tiniest things that, the, that you can think of that would go in that magazine. And it's because that was the only channel that people knew. So for, for a while, I was like, I don't understand why I'm, I'm being asked to put Church's uh, opening hours a change in, you know, as a magazine article and, and get quotes for it. It's like, no, we're not, no, not going to do that. It's because that is the only channel that they know. And I think my job over the last couple of months then has had to be about re-educating people or educating people about what actually comms is. Yeah. And so, you know, it's about what we would put on a social media channel that would be very different to what we put in to a magazine but it's been a really interesting journey of you know from going to an, from an organization where you get a lot of requests from different departments do your comms magic to here would be could you just put this in a magazine and this it's, it's quite an
2: interesting change for me this has been I suppose it's what comms actually is and yeah. because it's a bit of a mystery to people means that they do that's the way that's why they come to us with, with these kind of spurious requests and then frame the request in that quite sort of odd way. So, you know, comms it up, yeah, the lazy bits, so comms it up, all the other all sort, of, sort of things that we've mentioned because they don't really understand what comms is and yeah, the, amount right. of work, the amount of work that there is in things that they come to us and say, I'll just do this. And that's the reason why they kind of frame their requests in that particular way. I don't know what you think about that, whether that's true or...
3: I do, but I think conversely, everybody's got an opinion on comms. It's not finance or even maybe press team, external comms to maybe um, some extent as well. You know, people see that slightly more as a dark art that they understand they they are removed from and wouldn't, you, know, you wouldn't necessarily go up to somebody in finance and say, oh, can you money this up for me or anything? <laughs> I think it's because people read and they write, so they, you know, they are absorbing content. They do have an opinion. And I think that's it. So it comes to the lazy requests, but at the same time, massive critique. Because it's so visible and everybody has, it's very subjective as well. And I think that paradox is what makes phrases like comms it up even more annoying because you know that there is a, a kind of other side to that request, which is the opinion of whatever you've done off the back of that request. If that makes sense.
1: That is that's absolutely spot on, I think. I think it, it's such a, a visible medium and you say everyone's got an opinion on it and you know one of the things i I hear back is but you don't understand x audience but i also understand comms and i know how to get a message through and it's that push and pull sometimes in the conversation where you're asserting your your professionalism and your knowledge around comms versus as you say someone in hr or something who's who's got a very different agenda that push and pull is is, is you know, can cause a bit of conflict, but I think it can also help shape
2: some of those messages. Because we're so visible in the roles yeah. that we're in, we are we are constantly judged. I've said it for years that you know, if you work in comms, you're only as good or as bad as the last good or bad thing that you did. Yeah, <laughs> because because every, as, as soon as everyone has an opinion. And you know, they're quite willing to share that in, in, in every sort of circumstance. So um, we are very, very visible. And it does open us up to serious requests, spurious requests, and, and sort of particularly on the tactics and, and actually getting things out there and sharing information.
3: Yeah. And I heard Katie McCauley on her podcast talking about she uses the phrase organisations get the communicators they deserve. And it's almost that relationship between the organisation, what do they think comms is there to do for them versus are they open, curious, understand there are improvements to be made and have therefore brought in a professional team to help them change and then to be listened to. Whereas I think sometimes it's luck of the draw, which culture you're going to end up in. And I think, you know, some are very mature, willing to learn, curious, others do just want things pushed out to use your phrase (laughs) as well so i think organizations are very mixed in terms of what they expect from us
2: let's talk about the the foreign language that we use (laughs) we've talked about channels we've talked about content and i think Sometimes if we took a step back and listened to ourselves and how we <laughs> talk to stakeholders and the sort of words and language that we use, that actually, are we just bamboozling them? I totally
1: agree with you on that one. A really basic example is I introduced myself uh, early on when I started this new role as uh, director of comms. And there was just all these blank faces in the room. And they and somebody <laughs> said, director of what? And I went comms. And I went, what's, what's comms? I was like, Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Communications. And I just forgot. I just live I have lived in that comms world with, with people mm. who understand this so much that for the first time this has opened my eyes to the language I'm using it is completely different. And it's an audience that do not understand. And I think if I reflect back in my first couple of months, I probably alienated more people than I intended because of the jargon and the language that I was using. I was talking about digital communication and digital evangelism and digital ministry. And people were like, "Uh, I don't get it. Yeah, I know. I know I cringe now. People just sat there going... (laughs) And I was like, I really need to rethink my language there, because <laughs> that is not the reaction I was getting. And people were fearful that what I was saying was, no more print. And I was like, I am not the guy that's going to come and, and chop down the magazine, because I think there's a place for it. I just want to raise everything up to the same level that, at the moment, print has got uh, a dominance in, in in where we work. But the language really pushed people away, and I think made people quite fearful that comms was coming in and just gonna walk all over stuff that has been established without really fully understanding the audience. And that was because I used comms professional language that the audience really, really wasn't wasn't clued up on. And why should they be?
2: I'll tell you a funny story about town halls. So town hall's a thing that we use quite frequently in comms, isn't it? And I was organizing some of these and we got to the, the briefing with the senior managers that we're gonna because of standing up and doing the doing at the town hall and and one guy piped up and said, uh, so where are we doing this? Are we doing it um, down the road at the town hall, in the, in the town centre? And, and I sort of looked at him and I said, no, no, I said, we're doing it at this particular hotel that we booked to do it in. He said, well, why on earth are you calling it a town hall then? Why are we not going to the town hall if it's a town hall?
3: And,
2: it's back to that point, you know, are we using a language? terminology that means something to us, but with actually to stakeholders means absolutely nothing
1: the town hall example is a really good example because for a long time i did not know what i meant really <laughs> i honestly for a long long time i did not know what i meant i kept seeing it in books seeing it in articles i was like oh, what 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 is the town hall but i
2: didn't feel i could ask because i feel i should have known you know it's, uh... it's 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 like a travel. it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a, a place where i work quite recently and they call it all hands they call it an all oh, hands yeah event.
3: we've got that We heard that <laughs> yeah we've got that as well
2: yeah, all user for
1: us in my previous job was all user email, was, was just every single person who had email, um, and here uh, it's not like that because not everyone is on the same email system. So language is very, very different then from saying all user, because actually now you've got to start thinking about, well, actually, who's your audience? For me, that's a thrill. Because that's an opportunity to shape message. Because not everyone's on the same system. So for that, it's been really good. But again, if I said an all-user email, people would be like, a-, "A what?" And I once used internal comms and said about, "Oh, um, and we we'll, we need to also focus on our internal communications." And they were like, "What's that?" That's a really, really good point. This is not this is not an organisation that has ever had this level of comms before, and it's been a right eye opener to me about how I live and breathe comms but also how that language pushes more people away than it does bring them in so you know when people say comms it up or or work your magic i'm like yeah i'm okay with that for now because this is a whole new whole new world for them
3: and that's a really yeah. interesting point because i think our industry you know, we've put so much into professionalizing ourselves and learning and growing and becoming all things to all people and i'm just reflecting on what you said there matt and I look at how do we reward other internal communicators and it's usually for a campaign or something that's, you know, really pushed the envelope and, you know, those are the people that kind of tend to be the the ones that will win awards, if you like, or something like that. But actually, there's a whole host of organisations and businesses who are starting up and starting out in cons and actually the amount of work that goes into that, you know, putting that in at those grassroots level is is phenomenal and probably in a way much more than if you have a budget and you can get an agency to help you put a really great campaign together. And I just wondered, you know, as a, as a profession, do we tend to go after the shiny things rather than maybe going a bit more back to basics and recognising the value of, of just those hygiene factors, if you like?
2: I'm very conscious that I blog about stuff and I extol the virtues of measurement and all the things that we're supposed to do um, yeah. in, in internal comms. And I'm I'm very aware that actually there's a whole bunch of people out there that are doing internal comms that are they're down at the basic level, perhaps because because they are just starting out in companies and it's a new role for that company or organization. And they're trying to get the basics right and then mm-hmm. we kind of extol the more complicated stuff and because the sort of the Rolls-Royce way of doing internal comms. And I just think sometimes that, that that creates a lot of pressure in the industry because there's there's a whole bunch of us up at the, let's say, the top who are trying to raise the standards and trying to raise raises in, and become a proper profession. But actually, we need to actually be thinking about, well, actually, there's these people that are kind of really needing to know about the brass tacks. And and actually, some of them may not have the permission in their organisations or the authority to actually do some of the things that we're saying should be done. So measurement's a really good example. I was at an event probably last year, I think it was now, and there was a lot of big companies in the room and people from big companies. And, I, and I, we were talking about measurement and I said, do your senior management teams demand of you that you measure what you're doing and that you share with them metrics around the success or, or otherwise of campaigns? And not one single person in the room put their hand up so we're telling people to measure, but actually, in their organisations, it's not a requirement because the team leaders don't want it. So I think we need to be sensitive to people's circumstances and what level they're working at. But otherwise, we kind of create a lot of pressure in the organisation, uh, in in the industry, and perhaps we shouldn't be doing that
1: that's a really interesting point you know i had all these ideas coming into a new job as you do and and you get to think about some campaigns i'm always looking at case studies on cipr and uh, institute of internal comms etc but we're just not at that point right now where we could run something as massive as what i i envisaged in the early days because i've got to get the basics right for example we we didn't have one place to go for all your information it was random emails Nobody uses the calendar to schedule meetings. That level of basic stuff needed to happen before we can do any of the the bigger stuff because we wouldn't have had the right channels to do it or one single place to go to get the right messaging and that took a while and it's still actually you know i'm still getting people just firing off emails and we are getting a lot stricter we're saying you have to read this one newsletter if there's one you know newsletter a week you read it's this one yeah i'm i'm at that level that martin you you're talking about and so i absolutely agree with what you're saying is is i there's a there's a base level i got to get right first before we can move any any further and i would love to put ourselves up for awards you know asap but we're just not yeah. i'm never ever going to be able to compete with with some of those organizations that are already much further ahead than mm-hmm. we are
0: so Do you think as communicators we're kind of bringing this on ourselves? Because what I'm hearing is we see the sort of the shiny new thing and we're interested in that, so we kind of want to go after it. We champion the top of our industry very vocally on social media and through awards campaigns and that sort of thing. And also we seem to absorb the jargon both of the communications industry and of the workplace we're working in so that we speak almost completely in jargon rather than just one or the other. Do you think that those, are things we need to think about in terms of our own professional practice to to change things
3: yeah i think they're definitely things to think about because i think we get we're running at such a speed you know, and all of us on this call have been in comms for a hideously long time, <laughs> which I'm really glad you didn't ask us to divulge at the beginning of the-, <laughs> of the recording. And other people might just be new to the party and organisations do take, you know, especially big, traditional, older ones, corporate ones, you know, and the less exciting one. You know, they're still just getting to the point where they realise that is important I still think there's some things that we can do to educate stakeholders and internal clients about what we're here to do at that really basic level and then expect that to kind of be reciprocated as well so more of a partnership rather than just a a dumping ground for last minute requests and things like that so
2: at the level of the practical and we talked about lazy briefing earlier on in the conversation and I think just having a a simple template, I suppose, which has a series of questions on it that you can work through with a stakeholder it enables them to have that light bulb moment. So they come to you often with a list of, of tactics or things that they want to do and actually having that brief that you can just sit down. It doesn't need to be a long conversation. It can be five or 10 minutes where you just go through, little, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Who is the audiences for this? What's the, the outcome that you're looking for? just those simple questions just gets them to take a step back and think about what it is that they're trying to do but it also enables them and enables us to clear up any misunderstandings about the language that we're using So if we do talk about channels do they really understand what a channel is and maybe even what channels are available in the organization because to Matt's point you know he's trying to establish a single source of the truth with his with his sort of newsletter email does everybody in the organization understand that that channel, is the primary channel, and what the other other options are. I, I don't sometimes think that people understand in organisations what channels they've got, and that can be sometimes be senior leaders as well. One of the things I've set up
1: is called uh, 12 Digital Apostles, where oh. I've got like, um, a, I know, I love a pen. <laughs> it's really cheesy, I know. Brilliant. Yeah, it went down. It was a mixed audience, I'll be honest. It was, uh, some were like, oh, that's really clever. And others were like, oh, grown.
0: <laughs>
1: but I'm, I'm looking at growing that idea of, of educating people about comms and almost having my own sort of like internal tribe of people around comms and how having champions who then people can see the difference they can make in your local parish etc and you know I'm doing training with these people on the real basics of comms and how we can help them in their role and that's proving really useful because I'm 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 seeing them in meetings now challenge a different way of doing comms one person a fellow director now would spend ages previously just whipping up his own templates and and images and everything whereas now you know, asking me to go to a a graphic designer and, and branding and I'm starting to see some of that change happen and it's absolutely thrilling really just going back to basics isn't it and and just defining things like channel defining things like audience and and really thinking about the the way that we use our own language in meetings as well. As I said earlier, that assumption that everyone knows what you're talking about, we really need to rethink that. I do see on on Twitter and and LinkedIn etc. We're all talking to each other as as we all know what we're we're talking about. But you know, there's also new starters who are coming to internal comms and discovering comms in in a new way. That I do wonder if. Do we frighten them a little bit? I think back to last year when there was a whole discussion about having a seat at the table. It seemed to sweep everyone off their feet, and I was like, "I'm nowhere near the table right now." (laughs) (laughs) And now I'm feeling a little bit uh, inadequate. And you know, but now that one seems to have died down. And I think you know we do get swept up in these things of "We've got to have a seat at the table, guys." That's it. Got to have a seat at the table, and then it, it drops off. And measurement, you. You've got to have measurement, but I think Martin said earlier, you might not actually have the permission to do it because maybe you, you don't have that kind of trust culture that will allow you to put your measurements out there. I do wonder, do we put people off sometimes?
3: I, I think we might do. I think we've, I think where we've come from as a profession is from that, you know, everything that irks us about that phrase comes up, you know, is because I think we feel quite hard done by. So we have worked so hard to elevate ourselves as a profession. I think we've all done an incredible job over the last 20 years to change perception of what we are, not just the newsletter distributors, but, you know, a, a professional strategic function that will do a lot of things for the organisation. And I think sometimes it is just about making sure we don't get carried away with, with all the kind of you know, NAF talk at the top and remember the, the basics are, like you said, email systems, good briefings, a team mm-hmm. that can actually deliver good copy, that type of thing as well. So it is an interesting conversation.
0: It is. And I think you raise a really important point about the impact we're having on people who are coming up in the industry and whether, you know, we're making it an off-putting place. I like the fact that we've approached this topic quite in a light-hearted way, but thinking about it seriously, do we think it's having an impact on, say, the mental health of people working in comms and therefore how important a topic is this for us to consider?
3: I think it's massively having an impact actually I've seen and heard some and felt actually examples much more so over the last maybe one or two years than I have done you know for in any period leading up to that I think there's a real risk of burnout by trying to be too much to everybody Um, I think that we put massive expectations on ourselves that are really difficult to meet constantly and I think then businesses are just excruciatingly busy as well. So, you know, we might want to do long-term planning, strategic campaigns, that type of thing. But a lot of the time people just need messages out. Mm. And they're just doing them out fast because they're having to act at pace as well. But I'm definitely hearing room, you know, a lot of rumblings about burnout, stress, anxiety, imposter syndrome. Matt alluded to it at the beginning, I think, or Martin yes. as well. And those signals I think we need to really listen to.
2: It, it really brought it home to me because I, I wrote up the blog after after the comms it up incident and somebody picked up on that, another internal communicator and, and she wrote a blog called The Lonely World of Internal Comms. Internal comms is a, lo- is a lonely world for some people because they work in small teams or on their own under quite a lot of pressure and they don't get a lot of support from networks or any support at all because we do work in such a pressured environment in such pressured jobs that actually flippant ways of people asking you to do things could actually contribute to 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 your mental health and you know might be the thing that actually pushes you over the edge on some days. So I think there is a very serious side to this and feelings of not being valued in the way that we should be. And hey, we know that there's a, a mental health epidemic in public relations because we've got the evidence of that from sort of state of the sector surveys and so on. We should be doing things to help ourselves, I think. And some of that's about educating stakeholders about what we do. So they do ask us to do things in the right way and they do value what we do.
1: Yeah, I I think there is a a dark side to this. There's definitely a downside to it. I get that little bit of fear of, what if I can't do it? Mm. And then I'm just judging myself constantly by, can I do it? Is this good enough? Hitting the send button and thinking, oh, no, what if it isn't as good as it, it, it could have been? And, and having all those self-doubts, which, you know, over the last year, I think have come to realize is is imposter syndrome that pretty much everyone seems to have, and that's OK. On the flip side of that, if it wasn't for the internal comms community, I wouldn't have known that thing was a thing. I wouldn't have known imposter syndrome was something that everyone suffered. I just thought it was me being hypercritical about myself Um, and just hearing people that you admire in that comms world talking about it themselves has just made me feel so much better about it. You know, when I hear people like Rachel Miller say about imposter syndrome, I'm like, really? That's brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) Not great for you, Rachel, sorry. (laughs) But you've just made probably all your readers feel that that's okay. And they can talk about it. And thats I think that's the power of, of that internal comms community.
2: Yeah, that, that's so That we lift ourselves up, you know, as a community, I think. It's definitely the power of our tribe. And, yeah. and yeah, I think back to my reaction when I first heard comms open, I thought, oh, I feel so angry about this. What am I going to do about it? And just, you know, sharing that with, with the, the wider community on Twitter and and LinkedIn and just getting that reaction back that sort of said no actually Martin other people feel like you do yeah. it's so powerful I often say that that my network is my oxygen that's why I would encourage other internal communicators to develop a network because that's the place that you decompress yeah. and share stuff and resolve stuff when you are feeling a bit a bit down or a bit angry or a bit frustrated and you're right Matt hearing some of the Thought leaders in our industry admit to being in the same place as the rest of us is a very powerful uh, thing to hear. Yeah, very much so. For anyone in who's who's starting to get
1: comms up to a, a certain level, just being seen as a priority and being seen as as a business critical unit is really important. You won't see it in in any of the case studies. You know the, the basics of what you do, and you're not going to see it in on a, on awards night. But don't ever underestimate the importance of getting the basics, right? Getting to know your stakeholders, getting to know your channels before somebody says comms it up, you know, having that conversation with them to understand, right, what exactly do you mean about that will make or break whatever you're sending out or whatever your message is going to be the the basics are hugely important so if ever you're having a day or a week where you're like not even got to that big strategic stuff you've probably done some groundwork that is going to help you and in in the future that you're going to really rely on
3: yeah i agree and i think it's about finding if you want to push the envelope a little bit and show people what could be possible even if it's just tiny little things that are slightly different there's always somebody somewhere frustrated at the current situation who knows that there's something else they could be doing to improve comms and engagement and i think when you find usually that one person who's willing just to just to play test you know mess around with some things and to work with you in that way you tend to light fires and other people would just want that same thing and then that's when you can start having different conversations as well.
2: I think we need to we need to help people understand who we are in organisations. I've got one of those comms hero badges you know those little badges that um, <laughs> <laughs> comms yeah. hero here I and I have it on my lanyard at work and um, it's quite interesting I was sat next to somebody in a meeting the other week and she said to me um, what's what's that badge you've got on Martin what does it mean and I it was an opportunity for me to kind of explain, you know, who I am, what I do, uh, what I do outside of work, with with the broader industry and everything. And and sh- and she sort of said, you know, wow, I didn't, I would never have known that. And I think we just need to share. You know, we are we are on a on a journey towards professionalisation and, and hopefully towards a, a better place for internal comms. And I just I just think we need to share more of that journey and what it means to be on that journey. So, you know, many of us have done qualifications. Some of us get chartered. There's a whole professional pathway for us in the same way that there's a professional pathway for HR people and finance people. But I sometimes think that stakeholders and organisations don't understand that. And we we need to share more of that and tell them what it's like to be a professional internal communicator and how we got to the point that we're at. Both personally and as a collective.
0: Well, I'm gonna be really cheeky now and ask a bonus question that I didn't prepare you for. Here it goes. <laughs> podcasting seems to be really capturing people's imagination in the internal communications world at the moment. <laughs> but where do you think audio and podcasting content fits on the comms it up scale? Oh gosh.
3: I think because it's so new, it's not it's not Massively internally on the radars that I've come across yet. So I think people still see it as a dark art. You know, it's almost like video was a few years ago and then digital, in that they know it's a thing and they want the thing, but they're not sure how to get to that point, what's involved. It's not sort of tangible to them yet. So for me, I, I think for them, it's this shiny thing in the distance that one day would be great to have, but it, it's not something that everybody would feel they could do. Therefore, I think it's less comes it up type channel. don't know why mm. I went northern at the end there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I,
2: I I look forward to and dread the first request that I get from a stakeholder for a podcast because I have absolutely no idea how to, to do something like that. I, I, I agree with, I agree with, so I think it's not quite on the radar yet with stakeholders and senior leaders, but I'm sure like, you know, like video and, and other things that are kind of, Almost like the meat and potatoes now of internal yeah. comments that it will it will emerge um, internally as a And
3: as a do you know do you know what it's really funny because we've actually got this thing where I work now and it's an all hands <laughs> call, if you like, and it gets recorded and then it gets posted for people to yeah. be able to listen back to the presentation and the questions that were asked. Essentially, it is a podcast, but we yes. they just haven't made that connection yet. So I really hope no one's listening right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Blown it,
1: yeah. I've had um, two requests for podcasts. One, mainly because someone listens to podcasts and thought we should be doing podcasts. And that was an opportunity for me then to say, uh, just because it's there doesn't mean we have to do it. And actually, we need to invest in the kit as well. So there's a whole bigger thing behind it. But interestingly, um, similar to what you were saying, Sue, we started recording presentations and and some of the, the speeches and events that we go to and putting those online. I've not called it a podcast. And we've just said, oh, it's on our website to listen back to. But at some point, yes, we will be trying out our first ever podcast, I think, quite soon.
0: Very exciting. And you see, what's interesting about that conversation is I'm now thinking that when somebody says, can you pod this out? It's like (laughs) podcasts will have come of age and people will know what they are. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Pod it up. (laughs) (laughs) So I feel like we've come around full circle now.
1: So
0: So that's perfect. Well, I'd like to say a massive thank you to all three of you. It's been such an interesting conversation and it really has actually helped me to shape my thoughts about these phrases as we've been talking about it. So that's been fantastic. And I I really hope that our listener gets that journey through this podcast episode too. So before we go, would you like to tell us where people can get hold of you if they would like to continue this conversation with you? So Martin, let's start with you.
2: Yes, I'm on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My handle's at Flegg, Or visit my website, gelfic.com.
3: So I'm not as fancy as to have my own website, but LinkedIn, it's super free. And my Twitter handle is Supercoms, which is S U E P A Coms.
1: Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn as Matthew Batten, B-A-T-T-E-N. And on Twitter, I'm commsguyMatt. Um but be warned, if you do follow me, I tweet an awful
0: lot. <laughs> <laughs> lovely tweets. Lovely kind oh, yeah. Tweet. <laughs> yeah, really lovely tweets. Yeah, that's brilliant. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you thank Thank
2: you.
0: you very much thank you very much my sincere thanks again to martin matt and sue for that lively conversation which i really hope you enjoyed i know that any one of the three of them would be delighted if you engaged with them on social media and picked up the topic of comms it up thank you so much for listening and I'm really looking forward to bringing you some fresh episodes in the weeks ahead. If you'd like to get in touch with me at all, then feel welcome to message me on Twitter. I'm at Debbie Aurelius or on Instagram at Peppermint Fish Sea. Or you can look at my website, which is peppermintfish.com. I really look forward to speaking with you. Take care and I'll see you next time.